We always have a blast chatting with our guests about all sorts of different topics, but sometimes we go off the rails and dig deeper into their automotive and motorsports pasts. As a bonus, let's go behind the scenes with this pit stop minisode for some extra content that didn't quite fit in the main episode. Sit back, enjoy, and remember to like, subscribe, and support BrakeFix on Patreon. So we had a great time talking with Donovan about Garage Riot, but we felt the listeners didn't get to know Donovan as a motorsports and car enthusiast. So as an encore to the original episode, we put together this mini-sode based on our post-session happy hour. Sit back, enjoy, and remember to like, subscribe, and support us on Patreon. And as always, I'm your host, Brad. And I'm Eric. So let's roll. But yeah, you know, I've had I've had a 63 split window vet. I had that car for about a year, year and a half. I actually had the, the 327, 340 horse. So that was the third uh, in the chain of four. So the only one that was bigger mode, and that was the Fuley, which actually, side story, that one may have ended up being a Fuley. So real quick, I'll tell you the story how I bought that car. So um, a buddy of mine was a, a Playboy photographer, and he did work for like the college girls issues, that kind of thing. And he was also a DJ in a, in a bar in town, and I was in there one night, and you know, just kind of BSing. And I say, Hey, listen, if you need anybody to hold any lights or anything, you know, you know, wink, wink, let me know. And I'll, I'll go with you. So about two or three months later, he said, Hey, actually I need some help. Cause he usually had a small crew that would go with him and, you know, two or three guys that would help him set up and, you know, move equipment between rooms and things. So, so when you got done doing the happy dance, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, my particular role that day was gopher, apparently. So I had to drive downtown and get some lenses and some equipment that he had rented. And we went over to a house south of Atlanta down by the airport that was right around George Foreman's mansion, I think it is. Um, and it was one of Jermaine Dupree's house. Um, so huge mansion. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. They actually had a caretaker that lived, that lived in the house and he would follow us after every room and make sure that we turned off the lights because the electric bill was so expensive. So it was something like $2,000 a month or something to, to power this house. So we did that shoot and, uh, you know, it was very, you know, you want to say, oh, it was all, you know, just, but it was very, it was work, you know, we're, we're just, you know, lugging in gear and setting up. So I was like, okay, well, that was cool. You know, maybe, maybe again, once more, you know, a couple of times. So calls me again a few weeks later and says, I've got this shoot. Um, now I need now different help, right? I'm kind of the, the lead carrier of all the equipment. I'm not the gopher anymore. So I go in and help. So we start the shoot. We go to this house uh, just north of downtown. This amazing house has this, almost this moat. He's got this bridge. You drive over to get in this house and the owner isn't home. So we go in and he knew him. He knew the owner, obviously. So we go in, we're setting up. And, you know, everything's going on that day and everything's going wrong. At one point they were doing video too. And, and I'm having to lay on the floor and the, the girls on a turntable and I'm turning the table, trying to stay out of the picture. It was, it was Georgia tech um, shoot or something. So we, we go up to, to one of the other rooms and he's doing um, the photography shoot. And he says, you know, Hey, my light meter, the batteries are dead. I, I didn't bring any with me. Can you guys go? And there were two other, two other guys with us. Can you guys kind of look around and see if you can find any batteries? So, I don't like looking around people's house. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I got out in the kitchen and I went to kind of the utility drawer and I don't see anything in there. And the garage was right there. So I opened the garage. And as soon as I opened the garage, you could see it was a three car garage. And the, the, the last car was, had kind of a half wall. So you couldn't really see what it was, but the two clothes, you could see they were covered up and they were obviously C2 Corvettes, right? You can't mistake that shape. So you know, I'd never really been around C2 Corvettes very often, seen a couple. So I went around, kind of checked the back and rubbed on the, the back and could tell it was a split window. So I looked around his, his workbench, didn't see anything, went back inside. 
So about 15, 20 minutes later, the owner comes home and they introduce us to him and everything. And I made the mistake of saying, hey, I was in your garage and messing with your cars. And I see you have a split window, right? So you can imagine how, how that went over. And he, you know, he humored me and was like, yeah, that, that's great. But it was very, you know, very short with me. So we finished the day and I felt like an idiot and we leave. Well, I go back in some months later to this bar where my buddy's DJing and come to find out the guy that owned the house, Moonlights is the manager at that bar, right? During the day, he does whatever he does, making the big bucks. And at night, he uh, is his manager. So I see him and I went up to him and again, just BS and said, hey, listen, I'll give you a 40 for that car. And at the time, I hadn't really priced out C2s very often, but I knew they were 80, 90 grand and the fuelies were over that. So, you know, it was kind of a, ha I'll give you 40 grand and now I'm going to go back and sit down and, you know, that kind of thing. And he kind of chuckled. So three days later, I get a phone call from him. He got my number from, from my buddy and he says, hey, listen, you weren't that far off. And I'm thinking, you know, 40, 50 grand is pretty far off. So, you know, no thanks. He goes, well, I want you to come look at the car. And I blew him off, man, for weeks. And finally he stopped calling and uh, about, gosh, I don't know, some time passed, some couple months or something. He calls me again. He said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm selling my, some of my cars. The other one, the second car, by the way, was a 427 convertible. I think it was a 67 427. Really nice car. He said, I'm getting rid of that one. I'm getting rid of the split window. If you want it, come look at it. He said, you know, like I said, you weren't very far off. Let's talk about price. Come see it. And at that point, I was like, you know what? At the very least, I'm just going to go drive it. I've never driven a split window. I'll get a drive out of it. And, you know, this guy will stop, you know, stop messing with me. So go out there, check it out. He had, he had mostly restored, uh, well, he'd restored the, the, you know, the chassis, the frame, everything, the, you know, the engine was still original. The body was still original. It'd been repainted. It was originally Daytona blue and, and he changed it to the silver blue. So I went out for a ride in it. And afterwards, you know, he asked me, you know, what do you think? And I said, it was great, but you know, Hey, I can't afford it. And, uh, you know, he said, well, 42.5. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, is it stolen? You know, what, what's the story? So I played it cool and, you know, said, okay, well, you know, I'll give it some thought. And uh, I left, I immediately called my uncle, who's a, a big Corvette guy and basically said he would disown me if I didn't go back and pick up that car. So I bought it, but, you know, I had it for a year and a half. I think I put maybe a hundred miles on it. I was afraid to drive it, you know, a car like that, although it's not, you know, it's not a one-off Ferrari, you know, still it's not, super common. I was afraid somebody's going to run a red light and hit me. Had some adventures in it, ran out of gas, even though it was half a tank. Come to find out the, the fuel gauge was stuck. He forgot to tell me that. So, you know, no gas in the tank. So I was the, the jerk on the side of the road in a split window Corvette. But when I went to sell it, uh, we went through kind of this process of, you know, trying to identify everything. And I'd put it up on eBay and we couldn't find the, the engine numbers. And he told me, hey, I bought it for my uncle, which now maybe that was my uncle's story. Um, he said, but, you know, the engine was original. They had it rebuilt and the guys had shaved, doing some of the work, they'd somehow shaved the numbers off or something. So I took it to a, a really great Corvette place here. <clears throat> I'll give them a shout out, even though they're not a sponsor, North Georgia Corvette. Um, and the guys had the car for, for a couple of weeks. And I told them about that. And they said, well, we can acid etch, you know, the engine and try to pull those numbers out. So I let them do that. Couldn't pull it out. So now I'm thinking, okay, great. And I, I, I tried to sell it, like I said before that on eBay. And I got questions from a guy who was in Arizona, I think a lawyer. And he basically told me, if you sell me that car and it's not what you say it is, we're going to have a problem. So I didn't want to get in a situation where, you know, I was selling something as a matching numbers car that wasn't really a matching numbers car. So I did the best I could to try to, to pull those numbers out and we couldn't get it. And, you know, somebody had said, well, there's people that stamp blocks and I, I didn't want to get into all that. Right. I mean, it is what it is. And, and I bought it right. And I wasn't going to screw anybody out of the car. So I went ahead and <clears throat> threw it up again and classic car dealer in Florida came up and bought it. 
So the guy comes up and uh, told me, he said, listen, you know, I'm going to make this, we're going to tear this down, rebuild it, you know, every single nut and bolt will be a hundred thousand dollar car by the time we're done with it. So I thought, great, you know, the best hands for it to be in. Uh, he knew everything. I disclosed everything to him. By the way, Corvette guys are very particular. I had somebody ask me if the turnstock was original. Don't know if that's a thing, but I was asked that. I assumed it was. So anyway, while he was looking over the car, getting back to the, the original kind of loop of this was, you know, he started looking at it and said, well, there's a bracket here that typically only belongs to a fuel car. You know, there's, I guess that's where the pump mounted or something and, you know, this, that, and the other. So I don't know the original story. I, I know the story that I got, but it sounds like that car at some point was was a fuelie. And, and I guess back in the 60s, people were taking that apart and putting carbs on them and throwing that stuff in the dumpster. And, you know, those that set up now alone, I think was like 20, 30 grand. So I don't know what happened to that car after I got rid of it. I'm assuming he he did what he said and, and made a lot of money off it. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was a fun time. It was a fun story and the best way I can think of to, to come up with a car. So. And you're talking about sitting in the garage and just staring at your car for a half hour. That's how I feel about the Mark IV GTIs. <laughs> yeah. That's you know, Eric's up there up chucking in his <laughs> in his sweatshirt. <laughs> we just did we just did a video on the a Mark Seven, which was I thought was amazing. But you know, I'm still a, a Mark One guy. I, I almost bought one and I, I didn't. It was on bring a trailer and it got up to 15 and 15 was kind of my number. And I didn't know if I was going to get in a dueling war and get it up to 20 or something, but man, those cars, I think under starting to be appreciated, but you know, that's a car I could sit and look at for a while too. I think it's really cool. We already asked about your competitor. That's not a competitor drive tribe. If you could sit down and have a beer with any of the three, you know, hooligans over on there, who would it be? Clarkson, Hammond or May? Well, you always want to say Clarkson, right? I mean, I think he's he's the guy. But see, I say May. Well, I think May is fascinating. He's got so much knowledge in his head, and he's a music major. I mean, he's. Oh, that's I think of, May is amazing. Well, that's that's kind of where I was going after that. I mean, I think you probably walk away from a conversation with him and go, "Wow, you know, that was really enlightening." Where Clarkson It's four days later, but <laughs> right, Clarkson would probably move more just the you know kind of a, a bitch fest, but. You know, like I saw one of uh, May's videos where he was talking about this is what you don't do to uh, it was a BMW and somebody had embadged it and stuff. I like that kind of, you know, that wit about him, too. But, you know, it made me think about earlier when we were talking about movies and things. I think that episode where they went to Africa the first time where they went across the McCuddy or whatever it is, that to me is one of my all time favorite car episodes ever. And I've forced everybody I know to watch that episode. But I think that's so great. And you, know, you try to walk that line between was that scripted or not? And, you know, I don't think I think for the most part, it was it was pretty true. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love that. I wish that show would come back. Yeah. My favorite was the the Bolivian special where they they drove down uh, Death Road and then across over to Chile uh, to the to the coast, because I've been down that road on a bike before. Oh, wow. uh, so so I, it's got a, a personal connection. But I, that was one of my favorites. Is that the one where they snap the rope and knock May over and he hits his head? That's the one where they have to get the the off-roaders off the barge and drive through the Bolivian rainforest, and then they get up to uh, to Death Road, El Camino de, la, de los Muertos. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I've got some buddies that do that. They take off, and I keep telling them, dude, I, I want to go. You know, I, I've ridden, I rode motorcycles, dirt bikes when I was younger, but they take off to somewhere in South, South America and, uh, you know, spend a couple weeks, and they drive a thousand miles, kind of like Jude Law does, but not to that that level. Um, and they do that. And I told them, look, just bring me along as a cameraman. I'll film the whole thing. But I think that'd be amazing. But yeah, that road, you know, roads like that, but I was supposed to, you know, one of my, my trips that got canceled this summer, I was going over to Europe and I was going to rent something really nice and go to the Stelvio Pass over there. 
And the first trip that I had was, I think in March was planned and it's closed. It's closed until something late, like May or June. And then I had another trip planned, a separate trip um, in July. And I was going to do it again. Of course, that one got canceled. But I think something like that. And, you know, all the pictures you see of it, it looks like there's nobody on it. So it looks like you're mostly there by yourself. And, you know, I was going to take camera gear and, and get crazy. But there are definitely still some roads that I want to drive like that. I think it would just be incredible. Just you and the road, you know, just to get out there and be away. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Man, I feel so pedestrian because I'm a big fan of the episode where they put tried to put the Reliant Robin into space. So I just watched that. <laughs> the one where he keeps sliding into frame and he's on his side or whatever. <laughs> that, that show was amazing. Yeah, good stuff. And that's our pit stop right there. <laughs> If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.